Hi, this is Samantha, and you're listening to the Layman's Doctor podcast, where we're bringing medicine home. Today, we're going to have a conversation about mental health, and it's going to be really directed at healthcare workers and the role they play both in identifying patients with mental health issues, as well as how they may as well affect a patient's mental health or a client's mental health. I have with me two persons, Lanvel Blake and Janiel Brooks, who will be participating in this conversation with me. And I'm going to ask each of them to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about them. And of course, as usual, we're recording this online. So if there are any sound issues or technical difficulties, just bear with us. So Janiel, I guess you can go first. Hi, I'm Janiel Brooks. I'm the director of the Jamaica Mental Health Advocacy Network, and I'm also a counseling psychologist. Hi, I am Lanville Blake. I am the health and wellness coordinator at Equality for All Foundation Jamaica. You may know it as JFLAG, and also I also consider myself a mental health advocate. Okay, thank you guys so much for um, participating and being a part of this. I wanted us to talk a little bit about uh, Jamhan, just a little bit, just so that persons can know what it is, what you guys do. I see a lot of conversations about it on Twitter, actually, and then I know follow you guys on Instagram as well. So what is the organization, um, what does it do, and how does it help people? So Jamhan is a nonprofit organization which was founded in response to what we thought was a lack of awareness and information surrounding mental health in the public space. So that was our initial mandate and we've grown now to um, raising awareness, yes, and trying to do what we can in various ways to reduce the stigma that persons living with mental illness face. So we've grown, we now do advocacy more, as our name suggests, public awareness. We do forward-facing events in terms of giving presentations, etc. you know, before COVID, of course. And we're just concerned with anything having to do with mental health. All right, great. So this conversation for me or i got the idea for having this convo primarily with lanvel because we spoke about a sensitization training that he did with mental health professionals or not maybe not necessarily him but that was done with mental health professionals um around the lgbt community and that really kind of sparked this idea for me to talk about just sensitization in general for healthcare workers and then recently, there were a series of tweets by Equality JA that spoke about improving mental health services for LGBTQ Jamaicans. And I just kind of wanted to touch a little bit on the findings of that. I thought it was very interesting. So 61% of persons were psychologists and counselors, 8% were psychiatrists, and a good chunk, 33%, were general practitioners, right? Um... 64.5 of them were female and 37.5 were male. Um, the majority of the health practitioners were heterosexual with 8% of them. 8% identified as same-sex attracted and 5.5% as bisexual. 
and about 7% did not want to disclose their sexual identity. So I think what stood out for me a lot were that there were actually persons who said that they would refuse care to persons who were transgender or who identified as homosexual, whether as lesbian, gays, or bisexuals. 20 people said that they would prefer not to provide care to the transgender community. And only 47% of the participants were willing to put their names on the list of LGBT-friendly services. Um, I think also what stood out to me were the persons that actually had training. I think that training is such an important part and it's reflected here that we don't have enough training. 77% said that they received no training to providing care to anyone in the um, community. And I think, again, the other thing that stood out to me were that there were some persons that also just said, no, I don't want to receive any type of training for this. So that's what really sparked this conversation about mental health and then, of course, bringing LGBT services and putting those together and putting a spotlight on mental health within the health system and how healthcare workers can affect mental health, both in identifying it and being a part of not just identifying it, but helping to improve how someone might feel when they get services. So, Landville, I don't know if you want to just talk a little bit. I know I said a lot about this the study, but just a little bit about why you guys did it and what those findings suggest to you and what possible changes or what needs to be done within the healthcare community to help improve mental health services, especially from a primary care physician um, point of view as well, um, because most persons, again, that will be their first point in the health system, whether at a GP or some persons sometimes as well up to just go to um, a hospital, depending on whatever problem they have. All right. So I went away, was away for a year um, on a shipping scholarship, did a, my master's in public health and health promotion. When I interviewed and, and, and got the post, one of the things, or even before I left, I did a lot of work with Janil with Safe Space around mental health, kind of having the conversation at a level where people would understand it more. So what we realized is that, yeah, you can talk about anxiety, depression, you can talk about the mental illness, but we weren't making links where people could understand. So a lot of what we did, for example, we focused on postgraduate depression and postgraduation depression. We focused on creatives and their mental health and people kind of made the link to, okay, this is how it affects them. But going back to the study, when I got the post, a lot of the work that we, I must say, a lot of or all the work that we do at um, Equality is informed by some research. So there must be some, there must be a reason behind why we're doing an intervention. And when we commissioned this study, Dr. Kai Morgan and her team, Tiffany Palmer, also a part of the study, when we commissioned the study in December of 2020, was completed in February of this year. As you said, it, it I'm not sure if it was shocking that um, whether mental health practitioners or general practitioners would refuse care. But I think what was very heartwarming, and Janil would have participated in the continuing education unit that we did in September, is that a lot of people who came there came with an openness 
to unlearn. They came with an openness to also learn. And I appreciated that because people, without even telling them to put their biases on the table, a lot of practitioners that participated in the continuing education unit put their bias on the table. They spoke openly. They said, okay, um, and a lot of it is not knowing. And and, and you can say uh, people people know how to how to treat with lesbians, gay, bisexual, but transgender, the transgender population is a hard one for them. And it was also good that we had Renee Green, um, the executive director at Transwave, who as a trans woman um, herself, spoke about her experience and kind of helped practitioners to kind of understand more how to treat with the community. And I think one of the biggest things um, that Renee would have said is that it's okay to kind of mess up. It's okay to not know pronouns or the proper pronouns, but you have to yeah you have to give your, yourself that chance to kind of learn so for example if you misgender a trans woman calling her him it's an opportunity for you to learn that okay i go by he she some persons also go by they them and and kind of how you move to address them because the, the whole idea of yes like everybody has something goes to life and something affects their mental health but I think it was important for us to look at how does mental health or mental ill health, how is it disproportionate in the LGBT community? Did the study, and from the study, we were able to develop a community mental health guide for practitioners. So those we would have given or those we have been given to clinical and counseling psychologists that was developed by Dr. Kai Morgan. And we also did a mental health guide for LGBT Jamaicans, which is supposed to help them to provide peer-to-peer support. Because something coming out of the study is that a lot of persons might not be able to afford to go to a counseling psychologist, but how can they help other members in their community? Because the truth is, you do turn to your friends and families for support on whatever level, emotional, financial, whatever level. How can we equip LGBT persons with that skill for them to kind of, in a sense, provide some level of support and where they aren't able to refer persons to actual practitioners. Thank you so much for sharing that. Is it yet published for the public to see or the findings are still just on our Twitter thread? So the findings are out there because we had a, just last week, we had a Gleaner Editors Forum that we would have discussed um, the findings from the study. What we're currently doing now is we're designing um, the studies to making it a little pretty, making it more um, visually appealing. And then persons will be able to access the detailed findings of um, the study. So there'll be a link, there'll be physical copies of the study, and there'll, there'll also be soft copies via a link where persons can go through and see what came out of the study, including the recommendations. Okay, so I want us to go into speaking to healthcare providers who are not necessarily trained to provide mental health services. And this would be for general practitioners, persons that work at health centers, as well as doctors, nurses, and other staff that work in hospital settings as well. And 
I I want to know what is the importance that we keep not only mental health disorders in mind, but also the mental health of our clients and our patients in mind. And I think before even answering that question, just just giving kind of a definition or a working definition of what really we should think of when we think of the term mental health. What is mental health and why is it important? And I think I'd like Janiel to answer this, actually. All right, no problem. So taking the last question first, mental health is our social, emotional, mental, psychological wellness, right? It is being able to respond to life's demands in a satisfactory way. That's what I would say. So the same way that we have physical health, we also have our mental health that has to do with our mind and our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings. And I think it's important for for practitioners, healthcare practitioners, I mean, for everybody really, but healthcare practitioners to have this in the forefront of their minds because our minds and our, our bodies are not disconnected. And many of the physical illnesses that people manifest with have connections to our mental health as well. So either it is a mental health reason contributing to the physical ailment or the physical ailment can affect one mentally, right? So I think taking a holistic approach of knowing that the body and the mind are connected is very important, especially because certain mental illnesses will have physical symptoms as well, which are oftentimes misdiagnosed by, number one, the patient, you know, they may be feeling certain physical symptoms and not thinking that it's possibly depression or anxiety. And sometimes they're misdiagnosed by practitioners as well. So I think we have to take more of an approach of knowing that our minds and our bodies are connected and treating as such. I definitely agree. Um, Even just recently, I had a conversation about how um, issues with mental health, for example, stress can have physical manifestations and um, or oftentimes we have symptoms where our body tells us, hey, this is what's happening or we're having signs of of something that may not necessarily be a in quotation physical issue or a physical health problem and that our bodies and our minds are definitely connected so how how do we as healthcare practitioners keep that in mind when looking when when looking and saying hey you know this person may actually have mental ill health or may have a mental disorder how do we keep that in mind and how do we maybe go about asking questions or even bringing up that conversation? Um, I think it would depend on, on what is being presented to you for sure. And also the setting, meaning if, if the setting allows for a longer kind of conversation or examination that you get the time to probe. Is it a patient that you actually have rapport with, like someone who comes in fairly regularly? So I think those things have to be considered. But I think generally I would say, you know, conversation starters 
or questions asking about how the person has been feeling mentally or if there's been any major life change or a traumatic event, any kind of trigger. So I think those kinds of conversations will open the door for us to get more information. But of course, it depends on if the setting allows, because if it's a, a busy clinic where you have 50 people outside waiting, you may not have the luxury of time to spend half an hour, 45 minutes with the patient, for example. So I think that is important. I think if the setting allows for certain tools to be used, like for example, the PHQ-9 that um, screens for depression takes literally, you know, should not take more than five minutes to administer. And that's if you have a patient that's very talkative. Um, if it if not, you can get that done in two, three minutes. Same thing for the GAD-7 with screens for anxiety. So I think having those tools handy is also important. I mean, I know I, I work a lot with a lot of doctors who the PHQ-9 is a staple in every patient chart. So upon intake, all patients are administered that questionnaire. So once again, depends on the setting. But I think having that notion in mind, like I mentioned before about body and mind connection, that will help you to, in your um, examination and your questioning, if that is always in the forefront of your mind, especially now um, in the pandemic where Many people are being challenged emotionally and mentally. I think just keeping it in the front of your mind, practicing to ask till it becomes second nature, um, I think is a good start. And those screening tools, PHQ-9 and GAD-7, they're fully available on Medscape and MDCalc as well. I've used them primarily when I was working at the health center that's when I became aware of those screening tools. So I think as well, sometimes awareness is really important to know that they are screening tools that exist. And yes, you're right. The questionnaire takes minutes to administer and it can give you valuable information, especially when it categorizes persons based on severity and give you suggestions on what are the next steps to do. So there are two last things that I want to speak about before we reach the end of our time. And that is, I want to know a little bit more about what resources exist for if I see a patient and I'm a general practitioner or maybe I'm in the accident and emergency department or I'm just working at the hospital and I take note that this person may be suffering, possibly suffering from dep depression, anxiety or some other mental health issue what resources exist for support and i'm specifically asking about support because i think it's much easier when it's something that you know yep i'm gonna refer to the psychiatrist or i'm going to refer straight to um some of the larger health centers have mental health clinics and some things you can kind of start you can often start treatment yourself and then you go on to refer so outside of those referral systems, what support exists? And for even persons who may be listening to this and may just say, hey, you know, I want to go for counseling or I just want to see or I just want maybe a support group to go to anything like that. Do you know of any of those 
support organizations that exist. And I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm just going to plug here that in the show notes, I am going to link to a thread because Lanville posted a thread of all the mental health providers or a, a lot of them that exist in Jamaica. And I did screenshot it because he privated his page at one point. And that has been a very useful resource that I still go back to whenever people ask me for suggestions. So unfortunately, like many things and resources in Jamaica, a lot of them are localized in Kingston, um, which is unfortunate. But there are many private practitioners in Kingston. They are, of course, all over the island, but to varying degrees. As you mentioned, support groups. Jamhan has a bi-weekly support group that we are starting back in January. Think Mental Health also has one, I believe, bi-weekly or monthly. So that is peer support. It's facilitated by a trained psychologist. And some people find that kind of avenue to be helpful. Um, along with, or maybe just alone, along with um, counselling, sorry. So many, many counsellors and psychiatrists exist, and you sharing that thread that Landville, you know, put together is a helpful resource. I believe there is an initiative, I can't remember the name of it now, where they had placed trained counsellors in some of the major churches across Ireland. So I believe Kingston Bay, um, St. Catherine, not sure if they've expanded since, where I believe it is free, or if it's not free, it's like a thousand dollars or something. It's not church counseling, it is, you know, psychological, professional counseling, but they've placed them in the church because, you know, culturally speaking, many people, Christian or not, will run to the church if there is um, an issue or any form of trauma. So those will be the major ones that I would plug for now. Um, luckily, because of the pandemic, many psychologists are doing tele-mental health. They're doing virtual counseling. So that kind of helps to close the gap. So if you're in West Milan and you can't find a counselor there, you could link with one in Kingston and have virtual sessions. So that's one thing that we can thank the pandemic for. And for closing thoughts, removing discrimination is really important to me. So I would just want some final thoughts on how can we help to eradicate discrimination, especially as healthcare workers. And at the same time, I also want to thank you guys so much for being a part of this conversation and um, just sharing your time with me and with my audience um, about about this, what I believe is a very important topic. So just your closing words, and then please let us know where we can find you, where we can contact you, and we can also plug anything that you'd like to plug as well um, as a shout out or anything. So again, thank you so much, Janil and Lanville, for being a part of this. Janil, you can go first. So many thoughts <laughs> to squeeze into a small bite. Um... How can we stop discrimination? I think getting more information and being open to more information is important. Um, like Lanville mentioned before, uh, you know, using teachable 
moments when they come up so that you can learn more about a particular person, group of person, illness. I think just having an open mind is important. I think um, for us as practitioners and advocates, I think it's important that we continue to feed the space with as much information as possible and to lobby for change where possible as well. So I think having a system of redress is also important. I do not believe, don't quote me, but I don't believe we have a formal one for mental health. And if we do, I'm not sure if the general population knows about it and how to to access it if they need to lodge a complaint about discrimination in the mental health system, etc. And it is possible, you know. But if that system does not exist, most psychologists in Jamaica are licensed with the Jamaica Psychological Society. So if any form of discrimination does occur, um, reports can be made there. So that's my two cents. And where can we find you? Um, Jamhan underscore J-A. That's our social media handle on Instagram and Twitter. We are also present on Facebook. And we can be emailed at jamhan2012 at gmail.com. All right. Thank you. Lanvel, how about you? How do you think we can end discrimination? I think for me, the conversations are important. And I, I something that has kind of warmed my heart over maybe over the, the past year or two is how open people have been on social media. Well, especially Twitter, but then Twitter kind of represents a different set, but at least the conversation is happening. How open people are about their own mental health. I remember this one point where people were asking for referrals for um, psychologists and people that pe- people are just forthcoming with the information. So that is one. The awareness is good. And I, I always say the awareness is good, but we can't stop at awareness um, because people need access. It's good to give people information. But then when people want to actually see the service, they must be able to get the service that they need. So in all this advocacy around mental health and the conversation shouldn't stop at awareness it should also go to access i also think that we possibly need to look at how or look at the roles guidance counselors play in primary high schools and how we can in a sense kind of foster the conversation mental health and kind of distinguishing between mental health allowing persons to understand that everybody have mental health and everybody goes through a period of time where something affects their mental health whether you feel like exam whether your boyfriend or your girlfriend um, leaves you whether a family member dies but it's different from actually having a diagnosable mental illness so both are not the same and and just for practitioners in a sense to and 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 just for us to kind of remove the idea because i know a lot of us grew up seeing a man or a woman eating out of a bin or somebody on the street homeless and dirty that's the image that we see when 
we hear mental health. And I don't know how we'll move past seeing that because there are a lot of functional individuals who live with a mental illness. And it's good for for persons to kind of champion the cause by sharing their story. But I'm always kind of iffy about that because there's a lot of trauma that comes with telling your lived experience. But I do push for more persons who are at the place to speak, to kind of help to kind of show that functional, you can have a diagnosable mental illness and be functional. Thank you so much for that, Lanville. And how can we contact you? So you can reach me via Safe Space JA. So it's Safe Space JA on Twitter, on Instagram, or Safe Space JA at gmail.com. And if anybody's listening and would want to do work around LGBT mental health, whether it's a psychologist, whether it's a counselor, whether it's a general practitioner, if anybody also wants to donate to the cause to kind of help more persons who can't access uh, mental health services to access mental health services, you can link me at equalityja, so it's equalityja or jflag on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also search for me on the socials. My name is at underscore Lanvel, L-A-N-V-E-L-L. You can hop into my DMs and we can connect. Yeah. All right. Thank you both again for being a part of this conversation. I hope that persons have learned a lot. Um, yes, while this was geared towards healthcare workers, I think there was a lot of valuable information as well for persons who are potential patients and clients and i will try to link all the information in the show notes below again thank you so much for listening if you want to reach out to me there's so many ways you can send me messages on my social media which is at the layman's dr that's on instagram and on twitter you can send me an email at the layman's doctor at gmail.com or you can also go to my website and message me there at uh, thelaymansdoctor.com thank you so much for being a part of this conversation guys and until next time bye